Welcome back to the Brody Medic Podcast, the podcast about the people that make up the life of live events. Thank you today for offering your time to listen. Yes, it's a bit of a difficult one today. It is the morning after Glastonbury 2020, the biggest Glasto that never happened. Our tour today through music and medicine takes us to Shepton Mallet to meet the original festival medic, Dr. Chris Howes, Managing Director of Festival Medical Services a charity providing medical cover at festivals across the UK for the last 40 years. I'm talking about the likes of covering festivals such as Reading, WOMAD, and for four decades, Glastonbury, the mother of them all. So for the next 30 minutes, join us as we travel from the first first aid tent in 1979 to the field hospitals of 2019. Let's get into the story of the FMS at Glastonbury. So hi, Chris, thank you. Thank you for volunteering your time today. It's my pleasure. What got you into providing medical cover at Glastonbury back in 79? Um, to a great extent, it was a matter of being in a certain place at a certain time. Um, in 1979, I, I quite recently joined a practice in Shepton Mallet um, as a GP registrar. And um, I'd only been there a couple of months when um, uh, my trainer introduced me to this fellow called Michael Evis and a couple of other people who were planning to revive the Glastonbury Festival. They, the first one had taken place uh, nine years previously in 1970, um, but then there'd been a gap and, and they were planning to get it started again. So I was in the right place at the right time then to get involved from the beginning. Um, it started off as a sort of registrar project um we had to do some sort of project to um get our registration as, as gps and um we decided that i'd use providing the medical cover for this biggish event biggish for those days anyway um we decided that would be a good good way to do it um but since then i suppose the motivations changed a bit you know um uh, i Certainly in the earlier days, uh, I went partly for the music, which I loved. Um, can't say that quite to the same extent now, but then I'm getting on a bit. Um, then when, when I had kids who were of festival going age, I, I felt that I really wanted to do what I could to make the event as safe as, as possible for the kids make sure that they had some sort of backup if, if they, things did go wrong for them. And it became a kind of opportunity to develop something a bit different. You know, and people used to say it's, um, it's like running your own health service or uh, the way they'd like the NHS to be in real life. Um, and I think that's, that was mainly about the kind of relationships and the um, the culture, I guess. Culture yeah. of, of the way the way it works together, yeah. and then since then we since we've been um, developing to a greater extent our support for various charities around the world. I think that's become a significant motive motivator for me. So just in the last year, uh, and the FMS has donated to around sort of sixteen charities, yeah, um, all kinds of causes out there. Yeah, yeah, we've got things in in this country and and in the um, developing world. Um, over the years, we've developed, uh, we, we've um, donated over a million pounds, and um, in the last two or three years, it's been around the hundred thousand mark. 
sadly this year it will be zero and that's that's the impact of covid covid yeah causing cancellations yeah. it's completely wiped out the season i mean as you said um this last weekend we should have been at glastonbury doing what we do but um that wasn't to be um there's very very little likely to happen this year if anything really in terms of significant events um we're just hoping madly that somehow or other things would be um more able to go ahead next year so, so back in 79 there was sort of an attendance of what sort of 10 13 000 people the kind of team that you had there who was there with you well um the very first one we did was in a tent sort of large marquee which is much too big um we did it in conjunction with the local st john that time um uh, but the following year or actually it's two years later the following event we moved into the farmhouse worthy farmhouse and we had a little two-room basement flat the door opened onto the kitchen where the receptionist sat in, in a corner sort of squeezed in against the arga and then you went through into uh, a room which was a consulting room and um examination room and treatment area and we just had um, a receptionist a doctor and a nurse and that was it um no nothing out on site uh just that one little facility and, and um, what sort of things were you dealing with in 79 I, well, i'm making assumptions i can imagine what you were dealing with but <laughs> <laughs> well yeah it's, Probably right. I mean, there weren't that many people. There wasn't that much going on. Um, it wasn't in any way kind of frenetic. So there was very little serious injury. Um, it was minor illness, minor injury, um, very basic, straightforward stuff. Mm-hmm. And sort of carrying that through to to last year, I think the Glastonbury site had probably around about two hundred thousand, if not a bit more, two hundred thousand people. Um, you know at the festival fms looked after about five thousand over a course of a week that's right that's right yeah. if you count up the paid attenders and the performers and the huge number of people who are involved in actually putting the show on um it's well over one hundred fifty thousand, and probably getting up towards 200 um yeah we cover that with obviously a much larger service than we had when we started um at, at all the big events we do we, we have a main medical center which is a, a large very large marquee which is split into majors and minors um we have appropriate staff for the two areas we have um, imaging hiring an x-ray truck um therapies physio podiatry emergency dentistry mental health um whole range of stuff um the reason for that really being that we are a little bit distant from um the dgh certainly um um at glastonbury we're at least 20 miles from any of the three hospitals we admit to um and one of the big things uh, in our kind of ethos is, is to try to reduce the impact of events on the local NHS um, in terms of the ambulance service and the mm-hmm. local hospitals. So we do provide a quite a sophisticated level of 
cover those events um, in order to treat on site all those that we can safely do. Because each day the the field hospital might see around 100 to 150 individuals with different varying degrees of problems and I guess the geography of getting to a local hospital is difficult Um, and then if everyone did pitch up at the same time on top of the usual workload hospitals just would be inundated wouldn't they? They would yeah and and I think to be fair the the hospitals and the ambulance service and in fact the whole local health economy are really appreciative of what we do and and we work very very closely with them. Absolutely absolutely because there's mutual benefit obviously. Yeah. Of the um, um, casualties we see I mean as you say it was about 5,000 last year Mm -hmm. and we normally reckon to admit about one percent so there are only 50 um over the whole five six days who had to go to hospital and all the others we we dealt with on site absolutely um i was just thinking back to when i when i worked glastonbury and you have a direct line with the with the hospital a and e departments um and when they pick up the phone they are so kind and they're so happy to hear from you, um, which is not my usual experience when I pick up the phone working in A&E's in the NHS. Um, and in fact, going back to you know my first, first festival with FMS uh, was at Reading a couple of years ago. I was just astounded by the facilities that were ava- available. You know, I've worked in, in places where we don't get x-ray after midnight um, or on weekends after particular time and this was amazing we had a, an x-ray lorry um working through the night we were getting reporting through the night so that you know if someone had had an unfortunate stumble you know injured their ankle or something like that we could actually get a diagnosis we could manage them um and you know if they're if they're able to return them to play and i think that's just incredible and i, I think the reason that we're able to do that um is very much because we are a voluntary organization and um, the the only reason that events can afford to have us mm-hmm. is that we are voluntary. Um, obviously, we charge them. We if if you were to charge out all the facilities that we have and the and the um, caliber of the professional staff that we have, um, it would be absolutely prohibitive, and um, you just couldn't do it. So. That's, I think, one of the things that makes us attractive. You know, we try not to undercut other providers in that sense. You know, we have a realistic pricing structure for what we do. But because we don't have to pay the volunteers, then that enables our um, more sophisticated service and also, of course, the surplus income that we can put into our um, charitable things. Sort of how have the clinical cases changed from back when you started? Are we seeing different presentations? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. I think going right back to the beginning, um, in the very early days, um, it was a much more kind of alternative world. Um, It was slightly, events were not accepted in the way they are now. So you felt a little bit on on the edge, a bit bit sort of outlaw country. Um, And they attracted people who relish that kind of lifestyle and and so for example in in those early days we had regularly um, childbirth which we never see now but people used to come to Glastonbury to have their babies they used to 
time their conception as well. They can see to have their babies there. Um, there was a spell in the 80s, 90s, I suppose, when um, there was a lot of problems with drugs, uh, particularly opiates, and we would regularly be resuscitating people with narcotic overdoses. Mm -hmm. um, all of those who died were actually dead by the time we got to them. They were found dead. Um, but we were able to uh, resuscitate quite a number successfully and, you know, get them back. So, so there was that sort of spell. Um, and in the last um, 10 years, it's, uh, you know, from what I've seen, it's been sort of things like ketamine and the kind of novel psychoactive agents that are out there that seem to be the bread and butter. Yeah, um, drug-wise, yes, very mm. much so. And um, I suppose ketamine and um, uh, ecstasy and mm. those sort of related things are the most worrying now. They're the ones that, um, uh, that kind of replace the narcotics as, as, as the, the drugs that kill people. Um, but, but aside from the drugs, um, the other thing that we've seen over the last 10 years or so, particularly at Glastonbury, is the change in the age profile of the people attending and it was fascinating watching the coverage on the, on the BBC this weekend because in the old clips um, everybody was in the 20s um, and that, obviously that does um, cause a bit of a, a change in the presentations you know we see degenerative conditions people with advanced arthritis and COPD, uh, we see heart problems, mm. MIs, cardiac arrests, a lot of people with um, type 2 diabetes. And these are all things which we were much less conscious of in, in the earlier days. And, and so with those changing presentations, you've had to adapt the FMS to meet the need, I guess. Yes, I think that's right. I mean, our philosophy really is to sort of see, treat and discharge in the most appropriate way we can. I mean, there certainly isn't a lot to be said for keeping people for observation for long periods of time. Um, that's a risky thing to do in a field and it's difficult to justify. Um, so that, that's the reason actually that we, we try to avoid the word hospital for um for our facilities you know prefer to call them medical centers because mm -hmm. hospitals bring up images of wards and beds and people staying and we do try to avoid that so and i, I think in recent years our tolerance for keeping people over a certain minimum period has diminished um we're much more likely to discharge people who aren't getting better quickly um, mm -hmm. to hospital rather than um, hang on to them to see if they get better which perhaps in the earlier times we we were guilty of doing. Can you talk us through the whole process of what it's like for FMS to assemble the week before Glastonbury and uh, the process that's involved in preparation, uh, the make ready teams, that sort of thing? Mm, yeah um, well it, it starts very soon after the previous event finishes you know the, the Certainly by the new year, we're, we're working hard on, on planning the, the event. In doing that, you know, we, we liaise obviously with the event organisers because changes to the event may well have an impact on um, the way we deliver a service. Um, and there's regular 
meetings of, um, of a multi-agency partnership which involves the, the event and the licensing authority, um, the statutory services, police, ambulance, fire, um, and ourselves and various others, um, in really working on the underpinning policies and processes which you know hopefully will make it a safe event. Um, then comes the period of, of recruiting which starts around, again sort of quite early in the in the new year for for, for the um, midsummer events. And how do how do people if they're if they're listening in and they, they're wondering about joining when COVID sort of moves on a bit um, yeah. How do they well, go about um, that? They don't, don't have to wait till they're they join now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, well, we're always on the lookout for new talent, obviously. And um, the way to apply is to do it through our website, which is um, www.festival-medical.org. And um, there you can join as a member in one of the teams, um, doctor's team, nurse's team, physio's team, that sort of thing. Um, this obviously doesn't sort of guarantee anybody a place at a particular event, but um, how can I put it? The more attractive your qualifications and experience are, the more likely you are to to to, to be selected for one of the teams. So, for example, um, this is another way things have changed over the years: is that in the early days, anybody who was a doctor was fine. You know, we grabbed them. Same with a nurse. Um, but now we're much more selective with who we recruit so for example for ed doctors but we only take an st4 and above um anesthetists st7 um other specialities we've got psychiatry and um and eye consultants and pediatricians and so on so for the for the non-medical listeners um we're talking about people that probably have done subspecialty exams um, alongside the clinical years of exposure and experience really it's about getting the right skills in for, for those specific roles that we now know we need to have in order to cater for for the thousands of people that are there because we were talking you know it's, a, it's between 150,000 200,000 on site we might see one to two percent um, of those might be casualties that appear at the festival tent um, and then one percent of those might end up needing further care in hospital, um, but it's still big numbers when when you're talking about a hundred thousand people in one place uh, for a weekend. Mm. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. I mean, very simple terms. Um, what I'm saying is that most of our doctors would be either consultants or the senior um, training grades. Um, and our GPs would be fully qualified GPs, not GP trainees, GP registrars. So, um, and the same sort of principle applies to nurses and everybody else. So the, the thing is that it's getting that 1% um, of the attenders or whatever it is that we see, um, converting that into the 1% that we um, move on to hospital. And to do that, we need people who have the skills and experience to do a proper assessment of um, of any any um, casualty that comes through the door. And just having a look at um, the numbers for in terms of volunteers, I think we we took about eight hundred volunteers to Glastonbury last year, about five hundred to Reading. There's over a hundred at, at WOMAD. Um, 
it's not just clinical staff, is it? It's not just doctors, nurses, uh, physios, x-ray people. There's a whole raft of other people that are involved as well. And, and there might be other listeners that might want to volunteer for those roles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, certainly we, we, we have um, reception staff, office staff who do all the um, sort of back office stuff of filing records and so on. We have porters who keep the place clean. And outside the medical centres, um, I mentioned, the, we have a, a huge responder team of um, first responders who attend incidents on foot. And they're backed up by a site ambulance service, which we provide. Um, and paramedic support as well. So there's there's a big range, as you say, of um, different types of people doing different things. And it's it's not just physical health. You you have mental health um, yes, services as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We have a, a mental health team who deal with a mix, really, of mm. psychiatric um, presentation and um, drug related, alcohol related problems. Um, but it's certainly not all drugs and alcohol and, and um, in a mass of people that big there's an awful lot of people who've got some sort of um, mental health history and it is an extreme environment isn't it there's a lot you know it's a lot of people there's a lot of noise there's a lot of stimulation um yeah. so we you do see anxiety attacks um yeah 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 first of all don't suit everybody we do get people who who are very distressed just by the experience of being in such a big crowd or, or even some people who, who don't cope very well with being away from buildings. And as part of um, care on site, you have um, a pharmacy team as well, so that yes, practically if medications need to be um, given and, and used, they can get access. Yes, yeah, we have to do that as a private um, facility. We can't um, uh, dispense... NHS on NHS prescription forms um, but um, we have a, a kind of set charge for prescription items and it causes remarkably few problems the the majority of people who have a prescription written do cash it and mm. the fact that there's a charge for it which people aren't used to doesn't really seem to to be a barrier yeah I, I think <laughs> my interactions with with um people that we see that they're usually just really surprised like wow that's great service you know (laughs) that you know you've got a problem you need some antibiotics for it um rather than ending your festival prematurely or traipsing around um the southwest of england trying to find a pharmacy open on a glastonbury weekend there it is it's just right there um so a lot of them they're just kind of you know like surprised that it's, it's, it's there and thankful yeah. for it, yeah. So the organisation's been given the Queen's Award for Voluntary Service. Yes. Um, so, so that's the kind of MBE equivalent for, for a, a charity, I guess. Um, that might, yes, that's what it says on their logo. Um, <laughs> the MBE for voluntary groups. What's that it like a... being involved in, in sort of in the running of, of an organisation that's been given that accolade? Well, it's, it's a huge, huge honour and it really does mean... A great deal, I think, well, to the whole organisation, certainly judging by the reaction that we've had through our social media channels, that everybody's absolutely thrilled. And certainly those of us who've been uh, running the organisation for quite a number of years, um, I think we would never have dreamt that, you know, what started so small and, and grew so slowly 
has actually got to the point it has. It's a nice warm feeling, I have to say. <laughs> you know, warm feelings, um, I guess, are part of the FMS uh, experience. How do you cultivate this culture as, as a kind of leader within that organisation? Um, I don't know about cultivating. I mean, it's, it's very much a matter of keeping it going. Um, it's something that has evolved. It's something where I think we're all very conscious of. There is this kind of family feel to it and um, a lot of mutual support. I think, you know, part of it is that we did start small and obviously there we're all very close together. Quite a number of the people who were involved in the early days um, are still involved. So that's helped in, in the sense that it's um, provided some continuity. And But I think probably the, the main thing is that, that everybody really values it and that's why they keep it going. Um, uh, I think it's one aspect of uh, of the whole kind of experience of being at an event with FMS, which people would least like to lose. Absolutely, it does. You know, having worked there, it does. There's a lot of camaraderie. It's definitely a family feel. Um, it's a friendly environment. You might not have worked with these people in in any other uh, previous setting, um, mm. but there's some kind of uh, you know same kind of uh, way of thinking culturally. And yeah. it, I, I find that was similar when I worked at NHS Nightingale in London over April during the first wave of the pandemic, and it was a similar kind of thing. Um, a lot of us volunteering um, and coming from other hospitals locations there's something about the nature of volunteering maybe that makes it different um, from other cultures and, and organizations where um, the motivations are maybe different yeah I mean, perhaps it's just down to the difference of being somewhere because you want to be there rather than because you have to be um, <laughs> and that does does make a difference I think um, yeah so over the years, um, growing FMS, have there been any sort of um, existential crises or challenges to, to the, the charity carrying on? Well, not until now. Okay. <laughs> the the first test. Um, yeah, this is certainly the, the biggest existential test that uh, we've faced so far. Um, I think, you know, I, I mentioned that um, in the early days, um, festivals were not really approved of and there were attempts to um to stop them um which happily didn't succeed so so i suppose there was a threat there insofar as if the festivals went obviously we would as well but um the big issue at the moment is just we haven't got an inkling of when events will be able to restart after the um epidemic uh, the pandemic um rather suspected probably before the end of the pandemic, which was going to raise issues of its own. Um, but um, it, it means that we've got a year with no income at all and still a lot of expenses, even if we're not working. So um, we're, we're, we're confident we can keep going this year. So I guess if people maybe don't have the time to volunteer, but they could also donate to the charity at, at this time. Certainly very happy to um, receive donations, yes. And so that would be also on the same, the same website? Yes, yes, you, you can donate through the website. But uh, we're hoping that uh, things get back up together next year and, um, and we should certainly be in a position to pick up where we left off, although obviously there'd be 
changes in the way we do things because I think there'll be changes in the way everything's done. Events aren't going to be the same as the ones that we left. Mm. Um, I, I was talking to um, Alan Withers, who's managing director of another event company, mm. um, and he was talking about the horse racing. And so at the moment, they're sort of it's closed doors events. Um, so it's mm. just the jockeys coming in and then whoever's involved with the support. Um, they're doing temperature checks. Um, they're getting screening questions to anyone that enters the site. Um, they have to have uh, separate um, isolation facilities and, and uh, decontamination processes and PPE processes for everyone involved, in addition to the usual kind of first aid medical response that you'd usually have. Yeah. Um, where do you think festivals are going to go, realistically? Um, are we looking at low-density crowds, maybe? Or I think that we've been giving this a lot of thought and talking to various people in the industry, but I think the... The honest answer is nobody's got a clue at the moment. Um, mm. I think there there may well be some sort of restriction on who comes onto the site in the first place. You know, in addition to the sort of things that you've described with temperature checking, and there may well be some kind of um, um, requirement to have a test, a negative test, sort of within a period of time before you go. That's I know is something that's being looked at at the moment, but this, it's got a lot of practical difficulties. I suppose the the sort of the fingerprint test for antibodies would offer a solution to that, but it's just whether those tests are sensitive, reliable enough, timely enough, well, yes, and scalable. Right. Yeah, yeah, um, lots of, lots of questions. Yeah, um, and I think once you get on that, there's going to be differences as well. I, I think um, low density is absolutely absolutely something you want to see. Mm -hmm. but it's extremely difficult to achieve because of the nature of the event. Mm -hmm. It's not like a football stadium where you can take out some of the seats and have gaps and this sort of thing. Um, even if you have half the crowd in twice the area, um, you're not going to achieve that sort of reduction in crowd density because people go where they want to go. And if they all want to go to see the same thing, that's what they'll do. Um, yeah. And I think... Festivals are probably the least likely places for people to practice social distancing. The possible exception of Bournemouth Beach, but um, they, it, it, you know, and especially when they get a bit of this and that inside them, all of that's going to go out the window, isn't it? So the practical difficulties of actually producing a low density crowd are huge, um, but. Quite apart from all that, it's going to affect the way we work. Um, are we going to want to send out foot patrols shouldering the way through crowds to um, to incidents, or are we going to have to find another way of responding? Um, how are we going to stream people at the reception desk and take anyone with... Um, suspected COVID off to one side and what, what's that going to look like and how are we going to manage that? There's, there's an awful lot. And then even if we've um, diagnosed it, you know, what do we do with the patient? Um, you can't really um, send them back out into the crowd. But on the other hand, we don't have the authority to stop them. You know, we can't detain people. You know, we can't lock people up. So, there's an awful lot that's going to need to be thought through and discussed uh, 
before we can go back. Obviously, the, nobody knows when there's going to be a vaccine. If there's, you know, people are assuming there will be, but why? Why assume that? You know, some conditions there isn't a vaccine for. Um, and I, I don't personally see that as the sort of salvation. Um, I think that there's more a feeling now that we're going to have to learn to live with it, um, and nobody really knows what that means. So it does make planning a bit tricky. At this stage, to anyway. say the least. <laughs> mm. So I suppose it would be a good time to be nostalgic now, then. Um, <laughs> and there's lots yeah. of challenges there. What are your kind of your highlights then from from the forty year journey? I think one highlight is one that I experience every year, which is sort of being there before the event, seeing you know, a bare patch of grass, then seeing a huge marquee, and then seeing that adapted and stocked and then the staff coming in and just this incredibly sophisticated medical facility disappearing from nowhere over two or three days and working absolutely brilliantly to a great extent you know for the reasons you said you know the the um, this sort of feeling amongst people that they just want to make this happen and um, make it work um so that that's one favorite recurring memory but i suppose the um, the other ones uh, way 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 back um getting up at five in the morning to attend the birth of a baby in a gypsy caravan in a kind of misty field in you know when when the event was much smaller and that's a lovely memory uh yeah not really good at my, my age you know my memory isn't, <laughs> isn't what it is <laughs> that's 40 years at glastonbury i'll do yeah, <laughs> Don't touch it. <laughs> well, it's been brilliant talking today. So if, if you've heard this and this has really caught your interest and if, you, if you're looking to the future and you want to um, volunteer, um, do go on the website www.festival-medical.org. Um, equally, if you want to donate uh, to, get, to help FMS through this little patch, um, uh, then the same website as well. You can find them on Facebook and on Twitter. And um, I think, Chris, just thank you for your time. Um, and thank you really for giving me um, a really interesting uh, option in career diversity. Being a festival medic is something I really never anticipated that I would have an experience of, of doing ever. Uh, and being part of the organisations, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Well, thank you very much, Aaron, for your support. As, as a festival doctor, and I hope you'll carry on for many years to come. <laughs> <laughs>